Welcome to Applebee's, the home of the dollar margarita and America's most bountiful podcast, The Pod People. I'm Matisse Van Rossum, and what's that? Bees? In my eyes? It's more likely than you think. <laughs> I'm Ben Sheets, but you can call me Barry B, the number one B-movie fan, starring Jerry Seinfeld. Wow, quite a claim. Uh, hello, I'm Cleveland Mosier, and despite all the bees, I'm still just a Nick in a cage. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that was a good one. <laughs> that was a really good one. Well, we're back. It's uh, part two of our four-year podiversary. Uh, if you were with us last week, you've already re- heard our review of Robin Hardy's 1973 cult classic, The Wicker Man, uh, which... Spoilers, we uh, we unanimously uh, gave five out of five. It is a golden pod. And uh, this week, we're talking about a very different movie, <laughs> uh, also called The Wicker Man. Though. <laughs> uh, I'm, of course, talking about 2006's The Wicker Man, written and directed by Neil LeBute and starring Nicolas Cage, Ellen Burstyn, Lily Sobieski, and Kate Behan. And uh, it is a uh, remake slash reimagining of Robin Hardy's 70s classic, but with a wildly different tone. I would call it a remix in a lot of respects, <laughs> you know? They're, they're taking a lot of the same elements and doing a completely different thing with it. Different tone. But at the same time, they uh, reuse a lot of things and pulled directly from the original they use a lot of like the exact same dialogue um from the original but in some scenes like word for word word. word. Yeah. yeah but man what a what a completely different movie like it is the wicker man it hits all of the same story beats but this movie does not feel anything like the 70s version i know that for the previous episode we tiptoed around spoilers for a while but like on this one since it's a part tour and everything else and considering the movie like should we just go ahead and from the gate spoilers in the name right like yeah yeah it's, it's and true. everyone yeah. knows the bees not the bees they're mm. in my eyes yeah like it's, it's like, gonna be really hard to tiptoe around this one so i was you know like i guess in general you've been warned but i don't really know it but yeah, there's to I warn mean, against if you haven't listened to uh our last episode about uh the the 70s version i would recommend checking that out before this one mm-hmm. but and probably you know, watching we'll, it too yeah mm-hmm. i mean we'll obviously be referencing that film a lot because we'll be talking about it in comparison to this one but like i said it hits a lot of the same story beats one of the only major differences at the end is you know something that has been memed into oblivion at this point so i don't i don't know how much it's it's really a spoiler but yeah you know you've been warned (laughs) well i i look at the original film right and there's a lot of elements of comedy in it it's a pretty funny movie and i feel like in making the remake they looked at it and said oh 
the elements here are really funny. Let's just lean into that and make sort of like an absurdist black comedy. To be honest, I'm really glad they did. To be honest. To be honest. To just be myself. Yeah, yeah. I, would, I would say it, it was a good choice. Yeah, well, that's the thing. Like, this film got pretty reamed when it came out, both by audiences and critics. Much like the and original. I think... Uh, in a lot of respects, this one, you know, got uh, so panned by critics, especially because they were expecting a fairly straight remake. Mm. And that's not what this is. Like I said, it's very much a remix in that, like, it pulls wholesale from the original, but does something completely different with it and recontextualizes things even like there's dialogue sequences that are pulled straight from the original that they recontextualized to be way funnier. Yeah. Or more over the top. Yeah. Well, you know, this movie did come out in 2006. It was definitely part of the wave of early to mid-2000s remakes of 70s and early 80s horror. The Hitcher being another one. The Hitcher, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, mm -hmm. The Hills Have Eyes... Um, all of these remakes were coming out around the same time, and, uh, I mean, we talked about the, the Texas Chainsaw remake uh, last year uh, around this time, and, like, the, the general idea behind all of these remakes is the same but more. Uh, and in a lot of these cases, like, especially, like, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, like, it destroys what's so great about the originals which is a lot of times like knowing how to use subtlety versus not subtle things and largely missing the point and i think that this movie does kind of hold true to that idea of like the same but bigger but like you say, Ben, the things that they choose to do bigger in this movie are some of the more comedic aspects of the original, but still played incredibly seriously. Well, that's the thing. Like like you said, with a lot of remakes coming out at this time, they were trying so hard to capture the spirit of the original, or at least the story of the original, that they yeah. kind of lose the intent mm -hmm. of their own work. And that's why a lot of those films are muddled and just drab and not fun. Whereas this, it feels like they very much intentionally knew what they were doing. Yeah, I think I think so. I can see why people would not read this as intentionally funny. I'm kind of in your camp that I that I think that they knew what they were doing more than they let on, but it is because they play everything so straight that it feels like the movie is supposed to be more serious than it is. Mm. Um, that is also, you know, large in part to the fact that uh, that our police uh, protagonist in this one is portrayed by Nicolas Cage, who, you know, pretty much always gives 110% to whatever role he's in. Absolute king. And I think that the the success that this movie does have is probably 80 to 90 percent contributed by Cage's performance. Um, there are some other fun things about it, but I think that this whole movie would be a much more dreary affair without 
that leading performance. Yeah, he does incredibly in it, as always, as mm. expected from Nicolas Cage. Um, and it seems like he very much leans into the camp. Oh, here. yeah. In, oh, my God, in so many incredible sequences. Um, there, there are so many meme-worthy moments in this film. And, you know, it's, it's funny. Um, maybe, maybe I need to reevaluate some, some perspectives of mine because I do, I do feel like this film did a very similar thing to the Dawn of the Dead remake, which would have been, you know, somewhat close to the same time. Around the same time, and, yeah. And uh, it, it takes on a completely different tone, all the rest of it. But where, like, I was, like, a little steamed like coming off of the Dawn of the Dead remake. I loved this. I I I, I yeah. fully embraced it. I think there's a couple of reasons why, but it is it is curious to me. Maybe maybe I can I can get some help on on fully like breaking all that down. But you know, for as many like outlandishly like dumb and goofy things, there's a lot of morisms in here where yeah. like you know, like the instead of just like a couple of photos on the wall with one missing, there's like a a giant wall of photos with one missing. I was joking that it looked like an Applebee's. Yeah, the really wall does. was just completely covered. Yeah, it's so funny, and like it's it's that more as a thing, but like it's it's funny here. Uh, and you know, one one of the things that really rubbed me the wrong way with the Dawn of the Dead remake is like the color correction is like wretched i, I found really it to be wretched ugly, to look yeah. at like it's it's so overblown that people look orange uh and like the the darks are like so compressed that you can't really see anything um and not in a scary way like kind of in a frustrating way whereas in this film like i'm gonna be honest the the set design and like color correction of this movie i really liked i liked it a lot i like the aesthetic of this like, movie a lot too it, it looks yeah. good like it, i i was really surprised to find that i, I was kind of <laughs> expecting it to be sort of cheap and it wasn't it was it, it, there's a lot of beautiful attention to detail in in, the, has, in the set design and costuming it has a lot of the aesthetic hallmarks of other movies of this era you know like very specific color saturation and like colored filters being added to things but Whereas the majority of the movies you see from this era are, like, really green, you know, see, like, the Saw movies or Dawn of the Dead, you know, or they're, they're like, really blue. They're always, like, really cold. This one is very warm. Everything is, you know, they bring out, like, the yellows and the oranges and the earth tones a lot. And for the film, like, for the the setting of the film it feels natural it yeah. doesn't it like it looks it, like like dutch yeah. flemish paintings like it's great yeah you yeah know? i think that something else about like the reason this movie is so like weirdly funny too in comparison to something like a texas chainsaw remake or dawn of the dead remake is that like the original wicker man is a film that i feel like could only have been made when and where it did like it's very 70s and it's very british obviously so whereas something like texas chainsaw you can do the same story in any in any era like there's something weird about trying to adapt the wicker man in like the the mid 2000s they make a lot of attempts to modernize it and also like it's set in america instead of being in scotland it's it's in uh the pacific northwest so they they do some things to try to um both americanize and modernize it and i think that some of those are uh somewhat of a a misstep or they they don't they don't feel 
as uh, as organic or natural as the God, original no. one. So it creates an atmosphere of absurdity to it yeah. that I think is much easier to have fun with than Texas Chainsaw. Oh, definitely. Well said. I, I like that a lot. Um, it, it is true. It's like it's, it's straight out the gate. Yeah, Texas Chainsaw, like, it just largely feels like it's missing the point, and that's about it. Well, yeah, and Texas Chainsaw, like, like, the the remake is set in the 70s, but everybody has, like, a 2000s haircut. You know, there's no attention to detail. It doesn't feel like they took any steps to modernize it, like they just did it but again Mm -hmm. and missing the point whereas this it's like okay well you know we're not doing it in scotland we have to make it america so we have to make it believe more believable for an american setting and like we're in a little bit more secular time so we can't have like the protagonist be as devoutly religious and like there has to be another weird dichotomy so instead it's like the the island is uh is run by like the, as it's presented as like evil feminism, yeah. <laughs> which so, I don't think has aged well at all, but I think it's really funny. No, it definitely hasn't, um, especially like in some of like the uh, the earlier sequences, which I mean are are kind of like a false setup to have a turn, but then only to like turn back again, if that makes any sense. But I do like some of the world building here is there any realism associated with it no absolutely no. not there are these things called census bureaus that exist which would just completely like destroy like any anything of this like cult group mm. working properly like you still have to have like a census like on islands and stuff like this you, you can't get away with like having all your guys with their ch- their tongues cut out or whatever like this is it, it doesn't work like that that's fine dumb movie totally happy to like just enjoy that and accept it because it is fun we'll we'll talk more about them but there are lots of plot holes in this movie oh yeah it's rife with them but what i will say is like the world building like whether it's good or not is like uh i mean beyond up for debate but like it's fun i really liked it you know that they kind of play up the idea that like uh they were part of a group that was like celtic um interesting choice to go celtic and not scottish but uh like they were they were celts um and then they came to the states and they were very close to where salem was i think it was kind of a cute you know like plan and then uh you know, so they moved out here to, you know, carry on their ways. Uh, to get as far away from the rest of society as possible. You know, there, there's some cute ideas there. And I like it, too, because it's like in a, the, some the ways... The island is it, more like an, uh, has more like an, a kind of like Amish, Mennonite sort of mm-hmm. vibe. Yeah, you know, much so. Very isolated, you know, uh, uh, a secluded, like cloistered religious community. There's no cell phone reception on the island. Very little like modern technology. No cars. Which, no cars. Of course, like defeats a a lot of the surprise of the original where like they just look like normal people and then some things are like wrong underneath the surface. Exactly. Here it's like you get there and immediately it's like, whoa, cult. Okay. Yeah. Cool. It's everything is and and you you kind of called this in your prediction for for this movie kind of. last week and that like everything would be more like overtly sinister from the get go and it it is the case. Yeah. Like, I mean, like he gets there and they have like a weird bag like with like blood something. dripping from blood it. dripping yeah. down and, and like and there's someone something moving something in it. yeah, yeah like, like twitching and I I could not believe that scene went the way it did. Like he 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 asks he draws like tons of attention to it the camera draws tons of attention to it. it's obviously like writhing trying to escape or something it's, it's moving and it's dripping 
blood. Like, and it's red. You he can asks see it. Yeah. to see inside of it, and he goes to look. Like, they let him, and, like, he goes to look, and it twitches again. It's already been twitching. And it, startle- yeah, it and startles, it startles him. him, and he walks away. Why? He's a, he, like, he's a cop. Like, like this is, it's, like, his job. I don't understand. Like, we never, we, we never, never find learn. out what's in the bag. I guess no, it's, uh, it's a person. Just, like, it is that, right? Like, it's the only thing it could be. So, like, it's not, here's know. the thing. Easy to do a misdirection. It's a shark. It's a, it's a big fish. Yeah. You know, like they're coming up from the sea, like the, there would be blood and it'd be drippy and and it'd be like maybe still right, wriggling or whatever. Yeah, they caught a, bit, a big fish or like a, a, a dolphin or a shark yeah. or something. Yeah. Cool. Like that sets our protagonist up for subversions and maybe, hey, things aren't as bad as they seem. Great. Easy layup. Nope. Nope, we just don't see what it is. We get just mad blue balled by this well, like, that's, miscellaneous yeah. bag. No idea what's in it. As Hilarious. It, as you mentioned, like in the original one, Summer Isle feels like a like still an isolated, close knit community, but you get the impression, even by the end, that like most of the time they're normal. Yeah. It's it's like a normal small village on an island off the coast of Scotland and you know once a year they have their their like pagan May Day, you know, festivals. But all, the rest of the year it, they're just normal folks, you know, and that does not feel like the case in this one at all. Like you said they get to the he gets to the island and the vibe is immediately evil calls. Sussy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sussy. Exactly. <laughs> um, no, yeah, it's it's goofy as hell. Uh, but what I'll say is I do tend to appreciate in remakes when they do something different with it. Mm. And here, they do something different with it, and I actually, and I like the different thing being, like, the, the idea behind the cult, like, it's all run by women. We don't know why or how or what. And, and again, like, the, the, the guys with their tongues being cut out, like, all that fun culty stuff is fun and fine. Um, well, I think we... But, but again, too, like, if you're going to do that, you also need to recognize, like, how that also completely, like, recontextualizes a huge portion of the dialogue in the film and recognize that maybe you shouldn't just, like, repeat all of the same dialogue. But I'm also, like, I'm, I'm really glad they did because it's funny as hell. So, like, it's not, it's not really a complaint. Well, that's the thing. If you're trying to do, like, a legitimately good remake, sure. Uh, but but here I don't think that that's what they were trying for and that's totally fine. Well, yeah, and going full circle to earlier, you know, like the reason you can't make comedy work as well in other film remakes mm. like Dawn of the Dead is they're generally played a little more straight in the original. Whereas in the original Wicker Man, it is very funny yeah. and there are elements that are on their face absurd. So, you know, recontextualizing that works really well. And I actually wanted to mention that, you know, I mentioned this quickly on last week's episode, but Midsummer, I feel, does a closer direct remake of, of the, Wicker the Wicker Man, Man mm-hmm. than this wow. one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> How about that? Huh. It captures the tone of the original Wicker Man better and a lot of the themes. Most definitely. Better than, than this one. Um, this one, I would hesitate to say that this particular remake of The Wicker Man has any real themes. It has lots of motifs, but none of them are particularly like relevant to the story itself. I, For instance, like the proliferation of twins on this island, we see it over and over again. There's lots of like pairs of twins there's multiple sets of twins in the schoolhouse when he goes there's the creepy old twins 
Who uh, are the same uh, uh, twins from uh, the series of unfortunate, the new series of unfortunate mm-hmm. events series? I thought that was fun. Sister Rose, the the teacher, um, he he meets like her twin almost immediately after. Is like, hey, didn't I just talk to you down at the school? And she's like, no, you didn't. Does that have any bearing on the film? Is there a reason for this? No. Not really, other than twins creepy. A lot of the twins, like the old twins especially, but they do at the schoolhouse too, they talk at the same time. It was very <laughs> Shining-esque. Yes, very Shining-esque. And that's that's what I mean, where it's like, it's a it's a motif, but it's not a theme. It's just like twins creepy. Again, just reinforcing like... This cult is mad sussy. Like, yeah. I, don't, I don't understand, like, what... Well, I, I do understand. But, like, if we're trying to look at this, like, from our protagonist's perspective, it just it just co- continues to reinforce that he's an idiot. I think I think there's, there's maybe... Which an ar- Maybe there's an argument for, like, they have to make the cult more overt, overtly sinister because since our protagonist is not, like, a super devout Christian in this one, there needs to be reason for him to be put off by what's happening on the island. You know, that's a, that's so, a fair take. I hadn't thought about like, it that way. So they, have yeah. to, so they have to make it, like, seem stranger so he can carry the same kind of, like, disgust and frustration that Sergeant Howie has in... In the original, ooh, fucking twins. Yeah, ugh, twins. Well, I, I mean, what it, what it ends up doing is, uh, rather than being a staunch Christian disgusted by these heathens on this island, it comes across as more that he's just a misogynist who really hates all of these women. Yeah, and he's just, <laughs> he's just, he's angie. And that, that's the thing of it too, where like in in the original film, like when things funny things happened. We were laughing like at the main character, but they felt like there was still like a like a a context of realism yeah. behind them, you know. Whereas here, like we're laughing at the main character because he's acting absurd. He's not acting like with a sense of like realism or believability. Yeah. Like he's just screaming and like hijacking bicycles at gunpoint and yeah. shit like that. <laughs> like like the, the the main character in in the original like has dry believable enough like deliveries yeah. that you you earnestly still feel for him by the end of the film you know I, I was still like on the edge of my seat when he like when he looks at the wicker man for the the first time and he says god jesus christ yeah. no like it it makes your stomach it made my stomach drop like i was legitimately mortified for this man and in this movie, that man, that is so far from the case, and it, it, very yeah. funny. But uh, Nicholas Cage's character is is hard to sympathize with in this movie. Oh God, yeah. which I think is fine. I don't yeah. have a problem with that. Again, like I mean, yeah, he, it, it, he is the standout highlight of this film. Yes. everything about about him and his character is, and well, and specifically the way that Nicholas Cage portrays the the character because like i feel like he is trying to capture the same kind of intensity and conviction that like edward woodward has in the original but there's less narrative reason for it mm-hmm. so he just comes across as a crazy person acting bonkers just acting absolutely insane yeah. <laughs> why is it burned why is it burned <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> um, no, and imagine if this movie was like, uh, or if that character had been portrayed by like, a, I don't know, who's your, uh, who's the 24 guy? Uh, Kiefer Sutherland? Yeah, imagine like Kiefer Sutherland's role. Like, it'd be a lot more boring to me. That's, I think. What I'm, like, that's what I'm saying. I think this movie as a whole would be a lot more boring without Nicolas yeah, Cage. Yeah, I agree. He's, he's the driving force of just about everything entertaining about this film. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I, gotta, I gotta tell you. It's entertaining as fuck. It's like, great. It's yeah. really funny. Hilarious. I um I'm really glad I saw the original first. Yeah. <laughs> like it would be way more difficult to watch the original and get the, I think the same experience out of it having watched this one already. Well, I think you still can, but like it, it's definitely going to like just change the, like the way you perceive everything. I feel like in a lot of ways this one is commenting on the original in very direct ways. In, you know, highlighting the absurdity of things. Where, like, if you saw it by itself, it wouldn't have the same impact. And it wouldn't seem as intentional, I don't think. And that's that's why I, I I was actually just about to say something very similar. I think that this is one of the rare, the very rare cases where this movie is only really fun to watch if you have seen the original and have Hmm. the context for it. And I think that that might be the reason, one of the reasons why people hated this movie so much, same way that audiences Hmm. hated the original when it came out, is because, like, the original Wicker Man's a cult classic. It's not, it, like, it is part of the lexicon of horror for, like, big fans of horror, but for your average moviegoer, they have not seen it, maybe have not even heard of it. Maybe go into this movie not knowing that it's even a, a remake of a, a previous film. And to see this movie completely stripped of context, I can absolutely be like, who the fuck is this for? Well, like, okay, so, you know, this this reminds me a lot of, like, how Malignant was initially received as well. Like, um, and, and I think for, for very similar reasons. Like, imagine, like, watching this movie, like, with even without context and, like, being scared of anything. Oh, yeah, impossible. Right, like, unless you're, like, a very small child. Like, you're, you're just... scary in this movie. No, and, and again, like, generally, like, audiences tend to rate, like, horror... Like, general audiences tend to rate horror movies on, like, how much it scared them. Yeah. And, like... Which so a lot I can, of times uh, is, is, uh, is equivalent to how many jump scares are in the movie. Yeah, yeah. honestly. Like, uh, you know, we, we all know it's not it's not really a good metric, but, like, um, it, it is just often how general audiences do you know, look at, look at horror movies and, uh, yeah, that's going to have an effect. Uh, I would, I would think, but again, for entertainment value, I gotta, I gotta give it like, I I gotta give it. It's hot. Yeah, indeed. There are a lot of references here that I, I liked how they approached Mm. again. This is, this is definitely one of those instances where when it, it's something is like, poorly done or whatever it's hilarious often seemingly with intent and and when it uh but but there are also plenty of instances where i actually think that there are some some nice elements of this movie uh like some some of the the references are kind of cute i i've got some uh, some references to the original uh, off the top of my head salmon um, of knowledge well the salmon <laughs> of knowledge does show up uh, yes. though it's not named as as such um but in this one, we should mention that Nicolas Cage is brought to this island because he receives a letter from his ex-fiance who grew up there, says, hey, I have a daughter. She's been missing. Please, you're the only one I can trust. You have to come to my spooky cult island and figure out what's going on. That character's name in this movie is Willow Woodward. 
Willow is the name of the landlord's daughter in the original. Woodward is the is uh, Edward Woodward is the actor who played Sergeant Howie in the first one. Well, that's cute. Edward is Nicolas Cage's uh, character's first name. Something that I was just thinking about, and this might just be totally spitballing, but his character's name is Edward Malus, and. I was wondering, like, what is, like, the Edward is obviously from Edward Woodward, but why Malus? And I was thinking about it as, like, I wonder if it's a a very roundabout way of calling him Dickless, because they talk about, in this movie and in the original, the maypole representing the phallus, the phallic symbol. He's Edward Mayless. Mayless without May. So is it, you know, that that, that might be totally, you know, totally spitballing. But Some red string shit, but honestly, I'm here con- for considering it. Considering how much of this movie, until the end, like, he spends being, like, emasculated by all of these women, you know, I I wonder if there's if there's something to that. I could see it. Well, we should mention how funny the the classroom scene God, is so where yeah. they talk about the maypole. <laughs> oh the, yeah. <laughs> the teacher brings up now class, what does the maypole stand for? Or or no, it's not even the maypole. She says she says, What is the purest nature of man? That's what it is. There's a maypole outside, but she says, What's the purest nature of man? And two of the twins say, The phallic symbol, the phallic symbol. <laughs> like <laughs> Like, why do they repeat it? Um, because twins. There's two of them. Because there's two of them, yeah. Yeah, that's why. Because um, it, I guess it's scary. They had to both say it at the exact same time <laughs> yeah, and cause twice. Because the, the, the twins speak at the same time because mm-hmm. it's spooky, but that's it. <laughs> and of course, you know, we get we get our Beatles scene again. Yeah. But so much <laughs> so much funnier. Bigger. It just like the original, they he has the moment where he's like, Whose desk is that? And they're like, Oh, it's nobody's desk. He's like, Oh, well, I think it's Rowan's desk. And he goes and he opens it, but instead of like the the subtly sinister image of the beetle tied to the nail tied to the nail going around in circles until it traps itself there Mm -hmm. representing Um, the the main character representing the main character very fun uh in this they just put a whole ass crow in there big old crow and he opens it's like the one has been going on for minutes no (laughs) squawk yeah nothing it's it's like the it's like the one jump scare in the movie where he opens the desk and a just big ass crow flies out (laughs) of the desk and I think that they're trying to do, and I might have missed something, but they're, I think they're trying to do the same thing where it's supposed to be representative of the main character. It is, because yeah. they, they, they sing, like, like, or they say, they chant, the kill end, the crow, kill, kill the, the crow. crow. Yeah. Or the crow must die, the crow must die, like, as they're burning him in the Wicker Man. But why is he the crow? Like, that's where I think, like, I might have missed a piece of dialogue or something. Yeah, there could like, have been. In in the original, like, the beetle on the string makes sense. Like, they're leading him around until he traps himself, you know? He's constantly moving in the same direction, never turning or looking back. That makes sense. That tracks. Why is Nicolas Cage a crow? I don't know. <laughs> And at the end, like, the the teacher is wearing the crow costume. If Nicolas Cage is the crow, shouldn't he have been the one to be wearing oh, yeah, the crow is, costume? What? Instead, he puts on the bear costume, 
which is a funny image, but right, but but also because bears chase honey, bears seek honey. Maybe yeah, but, like but you're I, right because he it's if he's the crow because like in the original like like he dresses up as the fool like he takes yeah the he's fool playing thing. the fool mm-hmm. and right. again it, it plays out throughout the film like well before he even puts on the the fool costume he's getting like 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 he's like bonking his fingers and stuff like we, yeah. we that's still implied whereas here yeah like why what? is Nick Cage the crow mm, yeah. who knows. Again, yeah. motifs without <laughs> without being themes. Yeah, you know. Yeah, honestly, the crow being in the desk poses way more questions yes. than answers. Because yeah, again, yeah, like like the scene goes on for a while. Like yeah. before he opens it, you yeah, don't the, hear the a crow. crow would the crow would not just be chilling in there in real life. Yeah, like no. it would be it would be banging and squawking around, like trying to get out, like. <laughs> it wouldn't just be sitting quietly waiting for Nicolas Cage to come along and open the desk. Yeah. Um, but it is, for that reason, very funny. funny it's yeah. like, why is the crow in the desk? Who put the crow there? The kids, presumably, but why? Yeah, why, <laughs> why, why crow in desk? I don't, yeah. So funny, man. That's one of the few jump scares in this movie. And I feel like every jump scare in this movie makes me just cackle with laughter is there there's a jump scare early on when he's on the boat looking at uh a girl oh yes up against the rail and out of nowhere a big mac truck comes well we should we should provide context for that uh because unlike the original wicker man this one doesn't start with him just showing up on the island having already received the letter we see him doing his his gig as a high as a california highway patrolman he uh pulls over a car because uh he saw that like a girl dropped her doll out the window so he pulls it over to give it back the girl like throws the doll back out in the road as he goes to retrieve it out of nowhere a semi truck comes along and totals the car it catches on fire as he's trying to like break the window to to get the girl out the car explodes propelling him backwards. Uh, yeah. yeah you know uh so that's that sort of like sets up the movie he has many flashbacks back to it and that is uh hence why when he's on the ferry to to the island uh he sees a girl standing at the railing and then all of a sudden they just pancake her with a truck which is very very funny um but i want to talk about like that setup in general because i think that that's like the biggest plot hole in the film is the significance of the people in that car because First of all, like, afterwards, one of his co-workers, one of the other cops, like, comes to visit him, like, while he's on leave and mentions they didn't find any bodies in the car and the car was unregistered. So there's, like, this mystery. He says, like, who were these people? And she's like, I don't know. I never know, right? And we initially thought that the girl in the car was the same girl in the picture because... She has, she's blonde, has pigtails, is wearing a red sweater. Like, it is a different actress because, like, later in one of the flashbacks, we see that, like, the girl in the car is replaced with Rowan, who he's looking for. But, like... Also, like, all every single one of the girls in the... Every single one of the girls in the schoolhouse, all of them, look like that girl blonde, in some yeah. capacity. Yeah. yeah. So, like... I actually kind of like that, um, and I and I well, do. On the, on the island, it makes sense, and I I can see where he's like 
jumping at shadows because, like, he's seeing the missing girl. He's seeing Rowan everywhere. But why the girl in the car at the beginning looks like her is, is like, is it maybe supposed to be, like, the reason, part of the reason he feels compelled to go to the island to look for Rowan is because he couldn't save the girl at the beginning and that, like, because they look similar that he feels like this is an opportunity for him to redeem himself from that failure. Uh, I don't know. Why did the bodies disappear? Why is the car unregistered? Why do these people not exist? Like, it seems to be implied that, like, that was set up by the cult, but how or why, like, that, none of that is ever explained. It doesn't make any sense. No. Well, so here, here's the thing. I, I think that there is a way you can explain it away, but, man, even feeling the need to with this movie is kind of silly, but I'm going to do it anyway. Uh, like, he is... As an exercise, why not? He is an unreliable narrator. Uh, we see him, like, have these visions of the scene happening. Like, mm-hmm. we, we, he gets these, like, hallucinations. Like, the one, the girl on the dock for instance, in the water, like, is just the girl from his his vision or whatever, right. and he goes to rescue her. There isn't actually a girl in the water there. Like, he, he sees things like this, um, like, well, as a form of projection of his PTSD the, or whatever. Once he's on the island, it makes sense, but, like, why... Well, because, like, he sees the girl everywhere because, like, it's... He sees it as, like, a... Like, it's his, it's his past trauma, and it's it's his, it's a ghost that's following him the, around. So, like, he sees, he sees a girl, like, when he looks at the photo, like, maybe... I don't know, you could say, like... It's it's a young girl the same way, so, like, he sees the same girl. I mean, they look the same, but it is it is different girls, and, like, when he sees, when he has the dream where he sees the girl in the water and jumps in to save her, like, in that instance, he's seeing Rowan. He's seeing the missing girl that he's looking mm-hmm. for. It's not the girl from the car at the beginning. It's confusing. It doesn't feel... It either feels like there's a scene that they shot that explains that, that they didn't, that they didn't cut out, or that they didn't really know what they were doing. And it'd well, be it, easier the, to brush it aside if they didn't cut back to him, you know, reimagining... Reliving it constantly. Yeah, well, yeah. over and over and over again. So, you know, one, one of the things I think we've established at this point is that this movie uh, essentially takes the... The, the premise of the original film and strips all the subtext away from it, which is very funny. Um, one of the elements of subtext in the original film that we discussed, uh, we had a really good conversation about, was how our protagonist is the virtuous or perceives himself as virtuous. Like, and so that's all the reason you need to, to yeah. find find this girl to rescue them or whatever, because, you know, he's a he's a good person or whatever. Whereas here, like, we need to have this entire opening scene uh, uh, establishing in his backstory why he cares about saving a girl, right? Like, He's already a cop. Like, we don't need that. And I mean, not even just being a cop, but, like, just being a regular person, like, and, is and a good also, person, like, that should be enough. I, I agree. And that like, his, that's why, that like, it's fiance, stripping the subtext away. His ex-fiance, who he still clearly has feelings for, is the one who sends the letter asking for help. Like, we don't need him we, to we, feel guilty. Definitely about. don't. But I think that's the reason they put it in there, if that I, makes sense. Yeah, Whether it's dumb I, I think or, so. Or because not, it's to establish that he cares about saving they people. Because he didn't save this girl, so maybe he has a chance to save this one. Well, they have, the same, they have yeah. his, like, work friend at the police station that he, like, shows the letter to in mm. the picture. And he's like, that's not your kid. Don't worry about it. 
<laughs> yeah, it's like it's like this woman broke your heart and ran off. Like this isn't your problem. If she wants help, like let her talk to the father or whatever. You know. Also, I do think something that is funny that they that they bring up multiple times is that uh, the island is in uh, is in Washington. It's in they say it's in the Puget Sound. He is a uh, a California state trooper and. He does the the same thing that Sergeant Howie does in the original, where he's like, I don't need permission, I'm the law, you know? Like, I am supposed to be here in, like, my professional capacity, so I can look where I please, so on and so forth. But, like, as one of the women even mentions, it's like... We're in Washington. You're a California police officer. You have zero jurisdiction here. Like he does, he does, he he cannot be there in any official capacity whatsoever. Unlike our sergeant from the original, who can be there in an official capacity. <laughs> I just yeah. think it's funny. Well, and, and later when he's, like, doing the same thing and going around, like, searching every house and uh, and one of the women's like, you need permission to be here. He's like, I don't need anybody's goddamn permission. <laughs> so, you have permission to fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> so this does bring up another point uh, uh, that or another aspect that I'd predicted as well, which is that it wouldn't be enough that they would need to give more reasons for him to find the girl that being uh like like for instance it being his daughter and not only is it but also it's it's other reasons as well like they stacked multiple they had to stack multiple reasons on top of it they don't tell you right out that it's his daughter but uh it's heavily implied at the beginning and then later revealed you know when when willow like lets slip she says, "Like our, like our, is our daughter gonna be okay?" Or really awkwardly, like that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, very, very clumsily. like scripty pronoun game shit. So yeah, you, you which I mean, could you be, definitely called that? Yeah, which I mean, to be fair, like with like you know referring to as like scripty pronoun stuff too. But, like her character is like literally following a script at that point to to lead him, sure, like to it. So like sure. there, you you could explain that away, but um, I, regardless, in the moment, it, it does come across as pretty uh ham-fisted and regardless the motive is unnecessary like you know in in the original film like it feels like a carefully like strung together plan whereas whereas here it's just yeah well yeah and it's later revealed it's it's revealed at the end too that like willow is um is sister summer summer's isles daughter that's another thing for some reason instead of it being summer isle in this one it's summer's isle don't know why they had to do that. Just feels uh, <laughs> it doesn't flow off does the not, tongue. It very does not well. roll off the tongue in the same way that Summer Isle does. Um, don't know why they had to make it Summer's Isle. But yeah, you're right. Like they create so many motivations in this movie that like none of it really ends up working because there's too many motivations. Like any one of these things would be enough. That he's just a good man or a good cop and cares about finding like his ex-fiance's daughter that he feels guilty about not being able to save the girl and her mother at the beginning so he he looks for redemption the fact that his fiance were to write him and be like hey surprise we have a daughter and she's missing any one of these would be ample motivation in and of themselves but instead we get all of them (laughs) yep just crammed together 
And so I guess from a studio executive perspective that I don't have, uh, <laughs> you you could kind of say like that you know the more reasons you give him to have it the more members of your audience you're going to like gain sympathy from the problem is is when you cobble all of them together like none of them carry any weight because none of them been given the time to carry weight you know whereas in the first one just him finding the girl is is nice and clean you know like like there's there's nothing there doesn't need to be any more to it because all of our focus is placed into that and so like you either do or you don't, and that's fine, and it works. In the original, he's just there doing his job, and he's good at his job and cares about his job. So that's why he's there. And this one, it's like, you're like, oh, well, we've got to make sure his his motivation for being there is ironclad. So let's add all of these things. But, like, again, Nick Cage spends the entire movie like blundering around the island like screaming and pointing <laughs> his gun at people so like none of the motivation even like really connects with him like him being like a good man or a good cop or anything he just comes across as like some psycho that that they dropped on this island we're like hey there's a missing girl you gotta find her you, you know what you know, uh, I remember last episode I mentioned like imagine this character but replaced by a um by Christian Bale by Christian Bale with where is she and Nicolas Cage is kind of doing that he is like his character in this movie very much has that energy like he's he is uh he has no subtlety about him whatsoever it's just mm-hmm. like running all over the place kicking in doors and stumbling into things and uh and by the end punching a lot of women <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and you know it's funny in in the first one when our protagonist is like finally brought to that point where he's just like going into every house, searching every cabinet it's his, or whatever. Yeah, it's his point he's of been, desperation. He's yeah. been like led to that point. You know, he's been slowly broken down with like like oddities until finally like he's he's burst. And you know, even from like like for a, a puritanical character, he still goes on and like like for a good while without yeah. doing that. You know, largely because he's he's. He's British well, he's, or Scottish. He's professional. Or, you know, like, exactly. He's like, professional. He's um, doing his job and, like, And he's from the UK, of, so he's very polite. Yeah. Like, uh, Except not very polite. No, but, um, like, even still, like, he does you know, he's not, like, going around, like, beating in heads or whatever. No. Like, or, or threatening people, uh, for bicycles again he's not he's not but, polite but he's not brutish about it bingo yeah. and uh in this one nicholas cage uh is but, is extremely heavy-handed with every with every aspect of his investigation but the point being that nick like uh in the original film like he slowly led to that point whereas in this movie i i was waiting for him to already be at that point the whole time because right off the bat he has enough cause to be at that point there's a there's a like what could only be like a corpse in a bag like or or a person like kidnapped or something in a bag. Like what else is it? It's man sized. It's kicking around. The bag is bleeding. Like he should already be at that point there. So it, it, it's weird. Yeah, it, in, it's sort in of, the original. Yeah. In the original, at the it, at the beginning, it's presented that these people are withholding some knowledge. They're maybe not 
telling him everything. And, like, by the end, he's like, you you people are jerking me around. Like, I'm just, like, fuck it. I'm going to go into every single house on this island and, like, turn it upside down until I find this girl I'm looking for. But in this one, at the like, from the very beginning, it's not like, oh, they're, they're just not letting on everything they know. It's like, they're jerking him around from the get-go. Yeah. Uh, and it's and very very obviously so another another example of of something like that that doesn't really have any narrative significance is like at the very beginning when he's in the diner like he finds like a self-help tape cassette tape or something called like uh everything's okay and he buys that for some reason and then there's like one point where He's in his room at the end and he's like, he's like, hey, did somebody like go through my bags? Like I'm missing some tapes. They're called Everything's Okay. And it's like, I wouldn't know anything about that. That's never again mentioned. <laughs> well, no, I, because it's, it's the movie like literally telling us everything is not okay because subtext is dead. Right, yeah. exactly. It's like, like, we know everything's not okay. We saw the bloody bag at the very beginning. Yeah. We like, know. They, they literally took away his everything is not okay at the beginning yeah. of this movie. Yeah, they, they took away his sense of okay. Incredible. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I love it. Uh, I adore it. Um, but it's like, why did they take that? Mm-hmm. What what use did that have to hit to them? Why didn't they take anything else? They didn't take his epipens, like we saw at the beginning. Like he's you know he's allergic to bees. He has his epipens with them. Like that would have made more sense if they had like taken his epipens. He'd been like, well, I, I like you have bees on this island. Like I need my epipens. Like somebody took those. And then later he does get stung by bees, and you know goes into anaphylactic shock and almost dies and uh when he when he comes to and asks the doctor like did you use the adrenaline shot she's like no i healed you in the old ways it's so ridiculous too because yeah when he's falling down the hill getting stung by bees he like pulls out his EpiPen and like looks at it and then just passes out and it's never used later on they use it yeah, like, they, like, yeah, they use the, oh, it no, on him later on. Uh, but see, which is weird because like, they have the old way, so why did they Well, do that's, that? that's the yeah. thing. That's why it would make sense for them to steal his EpiPens early on so he doesn't have them. So when he gets stung by the bees, he's put into a position of helplessness where they have to heal him and they say, and, and then he can say something like, oh, I lost my EpiPens. Like, did you find them? Like, is that, and they're like, oh no, we healed you with the old way. And then we get like a cutaway to like a waste basket or something with like one of his EpiPens in it, like covered in like paper or tissue or something. So then you can say like, yeah, they stole his EpiPens so they could get him stung by bees and then bring yeah. him Which back I guess, from the brink I of death. I guess like, there's that context would... for that because maybe they did do that and we just didn't get the but shot. They did, but they didn't steal his EpiPens. Like that's the thing. Oh, didn't they? Because they do use one on him at the end, or did they just pull that from? I don't know, man. Yeah, that, that's it, what I'm. That's what I'm saying. Right? Like, yeah, it's, yeah. It, I guess you're right. It, yeah, it's, 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 they probably got the, the epipen because he had because he had it on him and he dropped it. Let's let's yeah. talk more about that scene because, uh, like, our character is like allergic to bees, and like we get a shot of like the house with like bees all over it, and like the beekeeper thing, like w- at a good distance as he comes up on it, he's aware of it. We see him see it. And he still gets really close to it and then is like, oh, my God, bees. Yeah, and then, like, and then the camera the field, has yeah. an overhead shot. And he's at the middle of this giant bee field 
we saw him like come into it, but now like he's in the middle. It's so confusing. Like, uh, yeah, it's like he. Like, how again, how he, did he like, again? He, he just, just he just looks like an idiot for for getting in, yes, in that scenario. And it's yeah, so he just funny. stumbles into the field full of bees and gets stung up and almost dies. Like deep into the middle uh, of this field full of bees. Well, that that's the thing. It's like he at the beginning he stumbles onto the edge of it, but then when the bees start swarming around him, instead of turning around and running back the way he came, he just runs further into the field of bees knocking other bee and then we see like over, the overhead shot of tripping him, like, on shit yeah it's yeah it's of him tripping knocking more beehives over like angering more bees i do think the uh from a a set design perspective that field is cool because like honeycomb it, patterns. It, yeah it has like paths mm-hmm. cut into yeah. it and like honeycomb patterns and like there's a beehive like at the at each like corner of of, of each hexagon um it, it looks very cool i love the beekeeper costumes oh, they look really yeah, cool. they're really they're right. very spooky they look believable yeah. and also horrifying and intimidating like yeah. it's a really nice uh combination i love yeah like the black netting is is really creepy like on the front of them i like, think the inclusion of i think the inclusion of like bees is like a central part of the this island's commerce is like a cool addition to this movie that the it, original didn't have honestly like, great I, I like, yeah i like that stuff there, there's a lot of other neat like uses of it like all of the doors have like the honeycomb pattern like uh carved into them um there's some really gorgeous sequences like uh like when he's running through like the 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 large house there there's like these cool like honeycomb like colored drapes and things and like other more like hexagonal windows again uh, he opens a door and there's just a lady just like hanging out covered in bees, um, which yeah. I, I like, you know, it's like, you know, they're they're one with the bees. So they're going to have like times or a cult. You know, they're going to have times mm-hmm. where they just sit there and as an act of faith, like just get covered in bees like real, real be- beekeepers do that. They just kind of like go out and make bee beards for themselves for fun. I, I can, you know, like that's that's kind of neat. It's it's a thing. He sees one of the one of the men in in bed, but covered in in bee stings. Mm. Um, you almost look like a leper, honestly. Yeah. Well, I mean, because he's so covered in bee stings, which is like ooh spooky cult stuff. Like they say, they only keep men around for breeding, you know. So he's in bed and he's naked, but he's covered in bees. So like. Are they fucking covered in bees? They and like gets... to keep them submissive and breedable. <laughs> <laughs> and beatable. Um. <laughs> I mean, they do. Is it really? uh, yeah, like, it's, oh, there is another jump scare. Uh, when he goes back down to the dock and well, he sees that the plane has been destroyed. We should talk about... Well, the, yes, he, the, he turns and he sees he sees the corpse there. I don't know if that's really a jump scare. You um, can kind of, like as he stumbles, I think it is. Like, as it, he stumbles up to it, you can kind of see the body there. Like it's yeah. just they foreshadow yeah. a little bit, but the you know the camera like snaps to it. There's a bah, 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 you know noise, and I love it too because like his his eyes have been like you know cut out or whatever, and his mouth is sewn, and um a a, a seagull flies overhead behind him and squawks loudly, and it's it's. Uh, it's a fun reference to Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds. It's it has to be intentional, right? Because like there's the shot in The Birds of the person like in the car with their like their eyes their pecked eyes out, and, out yeah. and like um and it's a it's a very like striking moment. And I, I thought it was it, it's it's sort of a horror take on a Wilhelm scream, just having a bird like squawk through the background. Very, it's pretty funny. Like, it is fun. Mentioning jump scares, I do want to go back to that really quick because we talked a lot about how this film. You reuses the truck crash a bunch mm-hmm. oh, as Nick Cage revisits it. 
this uh, movie also abuses the dream sequence. Yes. Nick Cage is falling asleep all the time. You might as well have narcolepsy. He's just <laughs> falling asleep everywhere he goes. Well, I feel like, yeah, it, it almost feels like they need uh, they need excuses for like s- him to find like surreal, creepy things, and then they have to be like, oh, it was just a dream. So in order to do that, they have to have him just like falling asleep randomly, like as he's investigating, like, and the, and they do the they do the the fucking dream within a dream thing on the dock when he finds. He sees the girl underwater, he dives under and, like, you know, grabs her, and then he wakes up on the dock, and he's like, oh, 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 dream, or whatever. And then it does a punch out, and on his lap is the drowned girl, (laughs) and he goes, ah, and he wakes up again. Man. So, why? It's so funny. I feel like punch outs are underutilized. Absolutely. It's always the punch in. But... I mean, punch ins in general are underutilized, but punch ins true. Punch outs, yeah. yeah. It's true. Yeah, you, don't, you don't see as many punch outs. And uh, you know what? Just like punch ins, they're usually funny. Like, yes. <laughs> I mean, absolutely in this case. But yeah, my man, like, he's even falling asleep, like, having dreams, like, when he gets locked in, like, the flooded catacombs under the ruins of the old church, like, as he's, like, holding on to the bars, like, yelling for help, like, he just kind of, like, falls asleep so we can get the same fucking dream sequence. Again. Again. <laughs> we, get it, we get it so many Except, times. Except, like, every time it's, like, slightly different. Like, that's the one where. Yeah, but for the most lo- part. He it's sees the same like, shots that we've already yeah. seen, and like, yeah, they might change up a little thing here, like it's the daughter instead. Well, yeah, like, and we that still one have to have. We still have to sit the car, through yeah. the whole thing again, like just just to get that little. Well, change. they do. It's like just you can do it once, where it's like the girl and like oh, the other thing. I think or I think the or just get snippets, but like it, it's there's so much cutting back to it. In the dream sequences, they do what I think is the ugliest thing aesthetically that the movie does. Uh, where, like, the dream sequences, like, they're they're desaturated, like, you usually get in, like, dream sequences and flashbacks, but they also do, like, multiple overlays of, like, the same thing. It's like but, ghosted images. Yeah, but set, like, a couple of seconds apart, so, like, they ghost into each other, and it looks bad. Like It's, it's also, like, a gross sepia tone, almost. Yeah, and, like, aesthetically, it feels... it. It dates the film more than I think just about anything else does. It's like that is that is very two thousand five, two thousand six. Yeah. And, and yeah, for like looks, flashbacks that like aren't even necessary to like yeah. it's, it's it's a lot. Um, yeah, again, it's like all the only purpose that like the flashback dream sequences serve is to show that he's like tortured yeah i guess padding like uh we don't need that no we like my man is running around like pointing his gun at people for no reason like we know we know that this is a a tortured man yeah yeah there's there's no reason for that padding just leave the paddington bear or whatever pun like (laughs) the you know like the yeah it's it's a silly it's a silly thing um but you know, like that being said, like as as gripes go, like they're only like two minutes a pop, you know, for each of these flashbacks. So like they don't they yeah, don't last that too, long. It's just too many. It's a couple of minutes them. and it's over with. Like, it's just yeah, too I'm many not... of them. It's like every time yeah. we get we get back to it, it's like okay, we've seen it, we get it. Mm-hmm. Like why do you keep showing us this? 
one thing I, I'd like to talk about is the music, right? Yes. The yeah. the music is such an important part of the original. Corn rigs and barley. Corn rigs, rigs and barley yeah. was sorely missed in this, but we did get the legend Angelo Baldolomenti uh, doing the score for yeah. this. What's odd is the music really doesn't stand out all that much. That is pretty good. Um, I I I agree. With both of you. I think it's good. I don't think it stands out. It doesn't stand out the same way as the original. No. I mean, the original, like you said, is essentially a musical. Th- this film has no, like, actual, like, diegetic singing. Yeah. Or non-diegetic. I always get the two mixed up. But, uh... Diegetic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um... Uh, so there's, you know, there is that. Uh, you know, but to be fair, too, again, uh, remakes don't have to be exactly like the original. I, I'm okay with that choice. I think you know. the score is pretty competent. Like it, it never, it never bothered me. And there are a few times I'm like, yeah, yeah, this is nice. I mean, Badalamenti is a is a good composer. Like he he makes good music. Um, you know, honestly, I would uh, I would love to have seen this movie directed by David Lynch. I think that would have Yo, elevated. Yeah. Wow, like you've, you've already got Badalamenti, so like. Let let Lynch direct this this fucking weird absurd adaptation of The Wicker Man. Oh I think they God. would elevate it to like truly next level. God, status. I'd love to see a David Lynch Wicker Man. That'd be insane. Um, we should talk a little bit about uh, Sister Summer's Isle. Um, uh, she is our our stand-in for Christopher Lee, uh, played by Ellen Burstyn. Who's you know, great. You know, now that I think about yeah. it, uh, sorry, sorry to, to cut back to the previous conversation, but like, you know, now I think about it too, like Twin Peaks like shares a lot of common themes like to the original Wicker Man, right? Like, you know, we have our like law judicial protagonist or whatever, like going in to find a missing girl. Um, and there's something like strange underneath the surface of the town. It's, beyond that, I mean, beyond that, like it, it, it differs pretty widely. But I, but I think like the the overarching concept is kind of similar. I'd never thought about yeah. that before. I mean, note to viewers: if you want to see uh, David Lynch direct Nicolas Cage, watch the film Wild at Heart. Yeah, it that's a Lynch I still haven't classic. seen. That's one of on my list. Oh, we should, um, we should watch that one together at some point. But yeah, going back to Ellen Burstyn, she's one of the great actresses. Of all time, you know, I think uh, one of my all-time favorite monologues of any film is from Requiem for a Dream, Mm -hmm. uh, where she's hopelessly addicted to pills and talking about her life's regrets. But she's She's also the uh, the the mom in The Exorcist, in the original Exorcist. Yes, wow, uh, Linda Blair's mother. Um, Um, But I think she does a serviceable job in this film. I don't think I don't think the script is does her her any favors. No, she's um, not written as memorably as Christopher Lee. She's just yeah. not given as many opportunities yeah. to be either. Like you know, mo- most of her monologue is delivered with them just kind of like walking around the grounds, which are very pretty. Yeah, um, she she really only has like a couple of scenes in this movie total, like where. He, you know, goes to talk with her just like how he does with Lord Summerisle in the original, but that comes way later in the film. And then, of course, you know, she's leading the the procession and the ritual at the end of the movie. But yeah, she's also like in the script. Her character is much less deep. Um, Lord Summerisle, there's there's some uncertainty as to whether or not he believes it himself. The ritual has another motive as well as just to just to motivate the, the people there, whereas uh, Lady Summer Isle, it just is part of the cult. Like, yeah. like there is, 
no other reason that she would have those have any differing motivations. Not nothing like that is ever really given to us. Well, I I feel like in the original film, all of the inhabitants of the island, including Lord Summerisle, are kind of played for camp a little bit. They are campy characters in a lot of respects where the main character is played very straight mm. whereas for this film i feel like it's the opposite where yeah. the inhabitants are played very straight but nick cage is just going bad shit yeah and i i feel like in some respects that juxtaposition is kind of necessary but at the same time i wish we could have seen more campy characters yeah i think so too um i in general like i think they should have just been more over the top with like the the weird creepy cult if they're going to it like make them so explicitly sinister from the get-go like you should really lean on that because I think in that regard, like, a lot of that stuff feels kind of generic, like the spooky stuff the cult is doing. Like, he finds, he goes to the doctor's house and he finds, like, the book about, like, ancient pagan rituals and he goes into, like, her lab and she's got, like, a bunch of fetuses and jars and shit and it's like, ooh, spooky. But, like, I really want, I want the characters to, to be a little bit more over the top mm-hmm. to, although, I mean, I was gonna say to match Nicolas Cage but it's like you can't match you can't nah. match Nick Cage's intensity. Um, but I think that 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 does segue well. I we've been going for a while. We should talk about the last you know 15, 20 minutes of this movie. We should also mention because we didn't talk about it at the beginning that we watched the unrated director's cut of this movie, yes. not the theatrical version, which I think is frankly essential, and it has been, from what we can tell, pretty much largely removed from the internet everywhere. Yes. Like ben, ben had to buy the DVD so we could get the, the director's cut of this movie. Yeah, this film is streaming some places. You can rent it. It's all going to be the theatrical cut. That's a real shame because uh, there's a reason partially why the theatrical cut bombed so hard with audiences, I feel like. And one of the main reasons is it's cut down to be PG-13. Yeah. And because of that, they cut one of the most crucial scenes of the film, and that is, of course... The bees. the bees. Oh no, not the bees. Not They're the in bees. my eyes. Uh, and <laughs> instead, they, you know, for some reason, they don't cut out any of the violence against women. And Nick Cage just going around and punching and kicking women in the face. I will. I will say, like, in terms of optics, it doesn't look great. No, but. But it's incredibly <laughs> funny. See, here's here's the thing, it's right? Incredibly like, funny. Like, couple couple things to preface on this one first. But like, okay, so to be clear though, like, is was there not? I heard this secondhand, so I don't know how rumor mongery or whatever this is. But did some streaming service not like cut those scenes out or something like some of those sequences it's, out because it portrays violence against women, or not, is that just like some, I would not be surprised. Yeah, because that also sounds like. The kind of rage-inducing whateverness that you know, like you would just kind of hear online, that might not have anything to behind it. Well, I, I, I don't, I don't know how true that is or what streaming service, but 
I mean, if, streaming services, especially shit on like Amazon Prime, like certain movies have been edited from their original versions, like notably like Avatar, the the version that's streaming on Amazon Prime cuts out the the ponytail fucking scene. Um, I didn't know that. Yeah, I mean, it's that's a that's a, a conversation for a different day, but uh, it would there's. Uh, a surprising and unsettling prevalence uh, in streaming services these days of like re-editing movies that ha- came out a long time ago to make them more like PC, I guess. Or yeah. so, like Which, I, I don't know. I would not be surprised to learn if some streaming services like Amazon cut out some of the the lady punching from this movie because, like, like I said, in terms of optics, it doesn't look great, but. In terms of, like, how it's presented in the movie and how it's executed, it's extremely slapstick. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah. There's, mm-hmm. it's, it's just, like, there's, like, three instances where Nick Cage just runs up and just right hooks yeah. a woman, like, right in the face. No no stop what you're doing, no cease and desists, nothing like that, just walks up and just When he steals bop. the bear costume from, yeah. the, from the lady, he just, like, runs up and punches her. Uh, just cold cocks, just bam. The, like, the second one, which is my insane. favorite, the second one, which is my favorite, is I think you can make an argument for self-defense because it's, like, after he knocks out the other woman, he's, like, trying to put on the bear costume, and, like, the young girl, the, the like, teenage girl, like jumps on his back and is like trying to like trying to take him down and he uh <laughs> and he just kicks her in the face right like a judo right? like yeah <laughs> like some john wick shit it's <laughs> like a type yeah it's it's like martial arts like he side kicks her like in the face into the wall of all like the photographs which all like shatter mm-hmm. um and again it feels like a need to have like more in your movie more action and just boom boy misses that point and uh yeah, it's it's a it's an interesting thing, right? Like, um, I mean, first off, like it's it's a fictional movie. No one is actually getting hurt, so like, I I, th- I think it's okay right. to find that funny. Um, I'm I'm happy it's just, to be it's just wrong, not it's just not something that you typically like, see in films yeah, and, where like the the action is just like. Uh, an insane police officer just running around punching various <laughs> women in the face. Right. And, and like, you know, I'm even happy to, like, have that be, like, on a, a title card or, like, on, like, a, a, a uh, on a rating warning or whatever, you know? Like, there, there are people who've had to deal with, like, you know, whatever stuff and they might not want to see that in their horror movie or whatever. Like, you could feel free to flag it, but... I, again, I don't know if anyone actually did cut it out or whatever, but, like, cutting it out of the movie seems, like, yeah. a bit uh, an overstep to me. Well, like, just, there's... Uh, there's another great one after he's put on the bear costume and has gone on the procession. You know, this time he's not playing the fool. He's playing the bear, uh, which is really funny because, like, there's, like, a thin, like, mesh, uh, like, veil over his face. But you can very obviously see that it's him. Still, yeah, you can, like, everyone can still tell. Like, and, it's like, him. Yeah, and, and, you know, like, most of the people in this procession, as in most of the people of the cult, are women, you know, and, like, when he runs up, like, it's very obviously, like, a man in the bear costume. Um, well, he's, like, a head and a half taller yeah, than exactly, everyone. Exactly. Um, but, you know, he the procession, it, similarly to the original, it leads to 
this time into the woods instead of the beach, and he sees, like, Rowan tied up to, like, a pyre, like, about to be burned, and uh, there's just a great shot of, like, he breaks free from procession. There's, like, a shot of him, like, running up the hill because, like, the, the hill is a little... <laughs> just, like, this, this, like, bear costume just, like, running up the hill. And, like, the woman up there is like, oh, what's wrong, sister? And he just, like, haymakers her. <laughs> just, like, without stopping. Yeah, it, it, you know, like, he, he's already, like, decked, like, two women in this movie. Yeah. Like, two, two like, cultists in this movie. Like, gender aside, like, I guess other thing, too, is, like, gender aside, they're evil cultists. Like, right, that's, that's right. the other thing, too, like, where it's, like, it, here's the thing, too, like, from his perspective, like, from his perspective and the audience perspective, like, these people have, like, kidnapped and killed children. Like, yeah, they're about, he, oh, he's, the they're like, about regardless to burn of a their, child to death. Yeah, yeah. like, regardless of, of, of gender or whatever else like that, they're, they're murdering they're people. They're the villains, yeah. Yeah, like, 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 um, uh, and again, bad op, but uh, still bad optics. Don't get me wrong, but like, uh, bad optics stripped of context. But yeah, you know, like, I think um, I think in terms of the narrative, it's justified. And you know, as you say, yeah. gender aside, you like can, you can have good about- feminists, you can have evil feminists, you can have you know, like it's a wide, varied world with all sorts of perspectives in it. I, I think that like, there's that there's more of an argument for like how the film presents feminism as a whole being yeah. problematic. Mm. Like that, I think you can you can absolutely argue um like nick cage running around punching some women in the face who are like evil cultists you know it is what it is um but the film being like feminism is evil and like (laughs) nick cage even be like so you treat men as second class citizens like Uh. disdainfully (laughs) it's like yeah, <laughs> you, you can definitely like like picture like a you know you know the uh, the shot from uh, I, I think it's like Wolf of Wall Street of uh, like Leonardo DiCaprio like pointing at the TV or whatever getting excited. Oh, like, from you Once Upon a Time. Yeah, in Hollywood. Oh, Once Upon a Time in yeah, Hollywood. Yeah, yeah, you can kind of see like an incel doing that during scenes it's like, like ooh. that. You're like, ooh, yeah, that. Yeah, like uh, you could, you could definitely see like yeah, like how how a uh, how an incel like or you know like some other meninist or whatever would like really really enjoy those elements of this movie. Mm. It's what it is. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's uh, it's just it hasn't aged well in that regard. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah. So the thing that they, you know, a- after he frees Rowan and they do the same kind of thing where they go on a little merry chase and you know, but then she leads him right to the cult and uh, that scene is is very similar to the to the one in the original except in this one Nick Cage has a gun that he's flailing around <laughs> they take it from him and uh, we we did go back and we watched the the ending of the theatrical version afterwards to see exactly how it differs and <laughs> at this point like as they seize him in the theatrical version it like cuts to the next scene where they take him to the wicker man but like some of the audio is still happening in the background where like you can hear them like breaking his legs and stuff yeah, where it's really loud in the mix like like you hear like like the 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 foley snap which is clearly like them like breaking a log like it's got a really yeah. crunchy sound to it mm-hmm. and it's super loud and and we get a line of of him going ah my leg my leg <laughs> like <laughs> which is which is not in the director's cut because we're we don't see it. it. Yeah, we're seeing them uh, smashing his it's, knees it's with like, a hammer. It's like a yeah. 1940s, like 50s, like radio drama. Like it's it's so heavy handed. It's like oh well, you know we're not the we're not the the moving pictures, so we got to have them say oh my goodness, I'm being robbed. You know, like yeah. it's like kind of same thing where it's just like the the procession's leading up and it's like well his legs are broken, but we've cut that scene out, so we just have to have him scream ah my legs ah, my in the leg. background. 
Um, but the way that you would do it is you have them all gathered around and you still set it up, but then don't show it, right? Well, but yeah, instead, it see, just hard cuts to the, per- them, the procession you and you just them hear like, it. Yeah, the, the right way to do it would be to to like see them raise up the yes. hammer and then as they bring it down cut to the like may have the audio of him screaming or something carry over and cut to the next scene but uh instead they just have that play out purely in audio as they like walk him up to the wicker man yeah. and, and, and then, maybe there's some dumb regulation reasons why or something yeah. or or like they or like in the editing booth they just kind of slap their hands and said okay that's uh, good yeah, no. well, maybe it's uh, like a weird MPAA type of thing yeah, but hard more to tell. importantly Yes. We lose the bee sequence yes. in the theatrical Which is cut. baffling to me. Yeah. Oh no, not the bees. They're not in my eyes. Ah, not the bees! Um, which, in terms of, like, what they do to him in general, like, okay, I understand they break his legs so he can't run, so they can take him to the Wicker Man. They still end up taking him and burning him, but what is the necessity of the extra step to put like a mesh helmet on his head and then dump some bees into it so they can sting him up a little bit and then they inject him with the EpiPen. Like, don't get me wrong. I'm glad it exists. It is like, it is the part that everybody knows about this movie is, is Nick Cage screaming, not the bees. They're in my eyes. We I'm should glad. mention bad CG bees. Yes, when they take the when they take the the helmet, the mesh helmet thing off, you can see that it is the same CG bee copy and pasted all over his face. <laughs> they're moving at the same like their wings are moving at the same time. Like they didn't even make an effort to like stagger their movement so it looked different. It's just the same. <laughs> bad cgb over and over again uh it's pretty fucking funny uh again i'm very glad that 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 part exists in the movie um because i i think that it is uh if not the funniest part of the movie certainly one of them like it's it's memed for good reason but uh you know then then it ends pretty similarly to the original they they take him to the wicker man well, it does in the director's cut. That yes, we yes, yes, yes. Yeah. We'll we'll talk about how the theatrical cut differs in a second. But yeah, they take him to the Wicker Man. We even have a similar moment of him like seeing the Wicker Man and be like, "Oh my god!" Except uh, the performance is much funnier. It's like, "Oh my god!" Miles and miles apart from the amount of weight that the original carried. Yeah. Um, and you know, of course, because it's a remake and needs to be bigger and better, like the the Wicker Man itself is much larger and grander than the one in the original. Um, but you know, for many reasons we've already stated that that scene lacks the the kind of horror and weight that the original has. Um, just going to show that. You know, what we already know, bigger does not necessarily mean better. Yeah, and to be fair, the Wicker Man is about I mean, the same looks, size and scale, at, you know? Like, I know, I think it's I think it's quite a bit larger, because in, in the original, they, like, they just walk him up some steps and put him in, like, the chest, but in this one, they're, they, like, tie him by his ankles and, like, haul well, him, all him all the way, way up the into the head. Like, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's, it's bigger. That's true. I guess one aspect, too, is, like, uh, it doesn't, it didn't strike me as grand or strike me as is grand because in the original like it's on the coast so it's just it's just it's it's like it's rocky like bluffs and just this one great monolith right whereas here like it's 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 in a tree line yeah um and so like it's it's not 
standing alone. It, yeah. it is like uh, still in an environment with trees like as big as it. So like uh, comparatively, it doesn't feel as domineering to me. Um, but I, I yeah, I, I didn't mind the design of it for sure. And I, mean, I, and looks, I did like fine. that it's in the clearing too. It's I just fine. I just felt like it didn't have as much like again weight or whatever. But it didn't well, yeah. need to. And to also because it was funny you know and, and but, also like there's instead of you know getting the the sort of dichotomy that you have in the original where they start singing one of their folk tunes like summer is a coming you know and like a harvest song while howie like tries to belt out a hymn to drown them out instead in this one they just just chant over and over again the crow must die the crow must die like as they set it on fire it's not as interesting no, i think no in the original uh, they're all singing they're they're happy they're gonna have their harvest again and and because yeah. of it like that there's duality it's a happy like folk it's a celebration song. Yeah. it's a festival yeah here there's no duality this, like subtext like, is dead cult, the crow must, must die the crow, the crow must, must die. die it's just evil. google gobble google gobble, gobble. Yeah. <laughs> it's very disrespectful to brandon lee honestly yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah he already died when they made um, this movie yeah which uh it does does bring up my my next uh prediction uh where i did i did predict uh, correctly so that they wouldn't be able to resist and they'd have to show big matte painting shots of the island. They did it twice. I don't think it was a matte painting though. It was CG, especially yeah. well, like in that, CG matte painting, especially matte in, painting, in that second one where like the waves are like very obviously CG, like the water looks like a, like a windows XP like screensaver. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, so so you did you did call that, but uh, in the director's cut, similarly to the original, as the Wicker Man you know burns and collapses, uh, it it cuts to credits. Um, but in the theatrical version, they tacked on a six months later scene. Is a really wow. bad scene of uh like back in civilization and we see a, a young james franco at a bar with like his friend <laughs> and willow and like the young uh the teenage girl like come into the bar and uh like start hitting on james franco and his friend and they even go so far as to, like, ask James Franco, like, what he does. And it's like, oh, I'm a cop. Like, I just graduated from the police academy, you know? So it's like, do they exclusively lure cops? Well, in, in the original, like, the him being, like, a member of the law is important. But in this one, that's not established. No, in this one, it, their reasoning, all they say is that it has to be a stranger who is connected to the community. So what they do is, in case of bad harvest, they send out, like, some of their women to, like, seduce guys and get knocked up. So if they have a bad harvest, they can call them later and be like, hey, our, I, our daughter's missing. Can you come to the island and look for her? So, like... Nick Cage was a cop. Like, it just felt so hackneyed that, like, James Franco had to also be a cop. Like, just the first guys that they met at the bar also happens to be police. But uh, as at the very end, it's, like, zooming in on, like, the girl's face. And it starts to... We stay, it fades in, like, the sound of bees buzzing and Nicolas Cage screaming. 
for some <laughs> no reason. reason. For no reason, like as it zooms in on her face. Um, I will say, I'm like, I'm, I'm very glad that they cut that scene from from the director. It's cut. just really clumsily directed, well, and once again, it's, it's, it's what we it's unnecessary. Yeah. It's it's what we talked about in the last podcast. Like you know, like your average audiences are gonna like see the credits roll and want more and know like what happens with the cult and what yeah. what's funny here is like it's even less necessary because like we don't have all like the the setup of uh uh knowing whether or not lord Summerisle like uh will be killed if the crops fail yeah uh the next year like uh it, it, in that there's there's even more cause to like potentially show the ending for audience wanting to see it but here like there really isn't any reason or whatever because like him being killed is really only for the crops and that's it yeah and Lady Summer Isle is on board with it, so there's no, like, potential, like, logical confrontation with the crops failing the next year. They just get another right. man. So, like, there's no reason to know what happens next. We know what happens next. So, yeah, like, getting that scene is even less relevant in this version. Dumb. Yeah. Really dumb. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, anyway... Uh, are y'all ready to rate this one? Sure. Oh, uh, uh, one last thing. Uh, I, I I thought it was mildly. Amu- it's a cool mask, but I did think it was mildly amusing that the 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 ex uh, character in the procession is wearing a jackalope mask. Yeah, that's all. The masks are cool. The, yeah. They do the, really look neat. The the costume and production design of this movie are good. Um, yeah. So. Uh, obviously, very, very different tonally uh, from from the last one. Um, it's uh, this is a a movie that I think is uh, pretty stupid, but extremely entertaining. And I think how much of it is by design and how much of it is by providence, you know, is is up for debate but uh we sure do we sure do love to see it folks oh yeah um i'm gonna i i i can't in good conscience put this on nearly the same level (laughs) as the original but uh i do like this movie i do think it's very fun uh as as dumb as it is uh so i'm gonna give it a strong four out of five i think it's a fun movie yeah ditto that i mean this movie is dumb schlock but it's my kind of dumb schlock damn it i really appreciate that nick cage is in pure pure nick cage form as i would hope yeah four out of five for me too you know uh yeah uh ditto that ditto that i'm uh i'm also gonna give it a nice strong four out of five uh it's it's a fun romp uh uh, depending on which version for the whole family and uh i think that when it's it's good it's pretty good. Like again, like I like I like the set dressing and some of the world building ideas are are fun. Um, and uh, when it's not good, it's hilarious. Uh, and kind of with a self aware wink and a nod. So um, yeah, few complaints from me. A healthy four, which is nice because it's unanimous. Yeah, once Still. again, we're yeah. we're unanimous. Uh, it's certainly not a golden pod. Uh, but, but it's still an echo chamber. <laughs> but it's, it's still an echo chamber, <laughs> and it's a fun one. So the, the 2006 remake of The Wicker Man gets a unanimous four out of five from us. Um, and, uh, yeah, that is uh, our, our podiversary brought to a close. Um, we're excited to, to start our, our fifth year. Um, I think next week is Titan. Titan, indeed. Um, the new Julia Ducournau film um, for listeners who listen to our Raw episode. It's oh, the same God. director. I need to mentally prepare myself for that one. That's going to be heavy. Um, it did. Uh, I saw uh, at the time of recording, it's it's 
fresher. By the time our episode comes out, it'll be a little bit less fresh. But uh, the film did just win the Palm d'Or at Cannes. Put whatever uh, uh, importance into that you you want. I'm pretty excited uh, as somebody who loves Raw. This one gives me big uh, Crash vibes. Uh, David Cronenberg's Crash, not the racist one from the mid two thousands. So uh, yeah, next week come come back as we uh, as we start our fifth year of the podcast with uh, hopefully a bang with uh, Julia Ducournau's Titan. Um, time for a sponsor. All right, sponsor shelf needs to be refilled pretty soon. Corn rigs and corn rigs and corn rigs and our corn rigs. Corn rigs are corn rigs. All right, this episode is brought to you by the fire of human liberty. (laughs) (laughs) Another really appropriate one. This happened two weeks ago. I got the fire of human liberty. I'm setting fires everywhere. Wow. (laughs) Two weeks in a row. Damn, that couldn't be better, couldn't it? Damn. How how about that uh, miscellaneous sponsor from the sponsor shelf? Uh, Yeah, this episode is brought to you by the fire of human liberty i've got a hot uh, hat full of wicker and i'm i'm coming for your corn uh, i'm coming i'm coming <laughs> i'm a human and i'm coming uh, <laughs> these liberal these liberal cults need to be stopped and i'm gonna punch my way through all of them if you think about it what is more the fire of human liberty than uh, creating your own mini sovereign nation on an island away from the U.S. government where you set people on fire Damn. for crops? Like, that is that is the fire of human liberty. I bet, I bet, yeah, do you, I, I, I bet uh, Alex Jones would be very conflicted in that respect. Yeah. Is this... Is the Wicker Man a, a libertarian's dream or nightmare? Libertarian's dream, for yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah. Lots of punching women. Yeah. yeah. Damn. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to our libertarian listeners. Yeah. I hope you're still our listeners. <laughs> or not. I don't know. Whatever. Um, all right. That'll, that'll bring us to the end of this week's episode. If you like the show, give us a anniversary gift and leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and, and a couple words about why you like the show. You can also become a subscriber to our Patreon at patreon.com slash podpeoplepod. We got three different subscriber tiers you can subscribe to depending on uh, what your means are and how you want to support the show. Shout out to our honorary pod boys, Sam Simon, Sarah Morris. We love y'all. We appreciate y'all, mm-hmm. as always. Uh, you can follow the show on Twitter at podpeoplepod and check out our Letterboxd at letterboxd.com slash, you guessed it, podpeoplepod. Uh, where you'll find a list of all the films we've talked about on the show with our average ratings and links to those reviews. And you can follow me on Twitter at some spooky snake. I'm on Twitter at Mr. Sheets. Wow, I'm on Twitter uh, uh, tweeting for LightArc Studio. Um, you can uh, follow our progress on It Stares Back, see all sorts of cool art and animations and neat designs and actual matte paintings not to well i mean kind of cg rendered ones i do do them in photoshop but anyway uh, uh point is uh you can see some nice some fun art i mean i don't know I'll, I'll leave whether it's nice or not up to you you can also find my work on ArtStation, and uh i'm uh, currently working at uh, dread xp doing all sorts of fun stuff uh go go check out go wishlist uh, my friendly neighborhood or uh, go play spookware uh or one of the dread x collections there's all sorts of fun stuff that we've uh, we've put out and are going to be putting out that's really neat no shortage of content heck yes 
All right. Thank you, as always, for listening. Until next time, just remember, not the boys! They're in your ears! (laughs) 